This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. From time to time, we're going to catch up with the people who have shared their story on the show. Last time we caught up with Annie Smithers, she had closed Defermio and was yearning to be with her team again. Well, the restaurant is open and Annie is back on the pans. Annie, how are you going? Well, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. Man, it's man, it's good to be back in the saddle. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's been a while since we talked. We talked sort of almost right at the beginning of the pandemic and everything was was a little bit different then. What, what have you been doing in this period? Uh, adjusting, <laughs> I think, like the rest of the world. <laughs> Look, there's, there's, there's certainly been – I'm very lucky in the sense that I live on 23 acres. I have a large vegetable garden to keep me busy. I have animals to keep me busy. Um, I'm, endeavor- I'm working on a new writing piece. And you know, there, there were some very, very lovely things about not being at work every day. But there was also some really dark days um, where that, that sense of purpose was really a sense of purpose, routine. They were all lost and they, you know, they weren't, there were, there were some not so fabulous times in there too, but I never lost sight of how, how lucky I am in terms of where I live and how I live, um, which gave me great, great um, joy at some times over these last few weeks. What did you do during that period to sort of help you get through some of the tougher days? I think I think some of the tougher days were always related to the mechanics of things like JobKeeper. It was the it was that burden of um, trying to understand things that are not naturally. You know, I run my books, but I'm not I'm not an expert with all of that sort of stuff. So I I leaned on my accountant a fair bit to you know. Try and make, and it was a, it was a great relief when it came out that sort of no one else really understood what was going on either, because I didn't I, <laughs> I didn't sort of feel like such a patsy then, but um, you know just just talking to people and just generally that that sense of realizing that this is something that everybody is dealing with. You you're not alone on the boat in the middle of the ocean. We're all on the boat in the middle of the ocean, and. Just, just persevering and putting my hands in the on in the dirt and doing my animal routines that are incredibly grounding for me. Of you know, these are creatures that all need to be fed every morning and locked up at night when it's cold and wet. And so it's been, it's been very lovely to actually reconnect with with nature. It's such a platitude, isn't it? But it's true. So you've got the team back together and you've opened the restaurant again in sort of the form that you can based on the restrictions. What what was it like being with the team? Well, we do have the team back together but not in the same capacity. I think one of the things that I found most challenging was a couple of weeks before you know, we could go back to work is I, I suddenly got the frights up and thought I don't, I don't know if I want to go back to work. I don't know if I can go back to work. I don't know if I can still do this. Um, that that sense of uh, trepidation of something that you know so well and you've done it for so long, and suddenly I thought, what if what if I can't do this? What if what if I go in there and 
I don't like it anymore. Or so it was really it was it was really quite confronting for me on a professional level. And then to to start a restaurant, you know, Defemi has only ever been closed for two weeks at a time. So I think one of the things that's coming out over these last couple of weeks is to start something from cold for, you know, having been closed for more than two months. It's actually really hard and, you know, machinery breaks down, um, things don't work properly, it's cold, it smells wrong. Like the restaurant really smelt, it just smelt wrong because it it was just sort of stale and cold and so we cranked we cranked her all up for the long weekend and we can only do fourteen people so it really is me and my lovely Bronnie on the floor and a dishwasher because I'm really a bit lazy to do the dishes <laughs> and we sort of thought look this is going to be a walk in the park but mentally more than anything else it was it was a really tough weekend to get it all up and running and remembering all the things that you know we we have to do and the the new things that we have to do uh and then there was the realization that because i work with a fixed venue is that it's actually still the same amount of tasks there's just not quite the volume. So I sort of misinterpreted a little bit and sort of it does take almost the same amount of time to cook for 14 as it does to cook for 34. Wow. And you don't have the same staff? Well, I don't usually have staff, so it's just me anyway. But it, I just thought it might be a little bit easier than it was. But <laughs> maybe I'm just out of practice. <laughs> but second, second week in... So we've done two weekends now and it is just delightful to be back doing what we do and that little precious dining room is, you know, at 14 is, it's, it's, a, it's delightful. It's, it's a very, it, the spaces work quite nicely with all the things that we have to follow and it doesn't feel like a morgue and which we were a bit frightened of and there's something there's something really lovely about lavishing all our attention on you know our 14 guests so what did you cook for them uh well uh, no surprise to you um i am actually going to be cooking duck for the next month or so to support jody at uh, great ocean ducks so that's a that, that's a step away from what we usually do, which is sort of rotate the proteins, you know, every five or six weeks, so and work through them all as the main course. So we're having duck, having a bit of a duck festival at the moment. Um, so the first week I did a little entree of a simplified coulibiac, and then we had on um, two of the days we had roast um roast crown of duck with little root vegetable and duck pithiviers and on the other two days we had confit duck leg with a mustard sauce and brussels sprouts from the garden and spatzel and that was delicious and some cabbage well i haven't had lunch yet you're making me yeah. really hungry and then I, the first week <laughs> the first week i got something out of my system that i have wanted to get out of my system for a long time and i did chocolate souffles for dessert because you cannot do souffles when you're the only one in the kitchen for 30 plus 
but you can for Forte. <laughs> and then last week, this last weekend, we did a beautiful um, old-fashioned baked sponge pudding over raspberries and blackberries and rhubarb from the garden that had been frozen down um, with brown sugar ice cream. Wow. Okay, I'm going to – So just – We might have to end this early so nothing, I can get nothing. some food. <laughs> <laughs> nothing nothing to – you know, in, in the style to which I've become accustomed, nothing, nothing too serious and nothing too um, – just lunch. It's it's just lunch, and it's that capacity to. I think we might be a little bit of a dinosaur as we move forward in the fact that you know it's comforting, generous food that possibly sits very well in this new age. How has this experience changed you? Oh, I like to think that it's it's changed me for good. Um, yeah, the world, it, it does feel, in, in a regional town, we have certainly felt that the general populace is almost snapping back to exactly where they were before um, with no real understanding of the fact that all these little towns have been in hibernation for two months and they can't, they have enormous protocols foisted upon them and they can't just, you know, make coffees for everybody that's come out of the woodwork after being locked up for two months. So there, there does seem to be a little bit of forgetting very quickly. And I hope that I hope that, that sort of settles down in the next couple of weeks. For us, we're lucky because we we actually, once all 14 people were in, we actually locked the front door and we locked them into the building. And that's... <laughs> We, we can't Sounds be di- like a good lock in to we me. can't we can't be disturbed they can't be disturbed I can't be disturbed so you know it's a it's a good system um, but changing me I th- it is a case of being very aware of very aware and very proud of what we you know in my little team does uh, we're very hands-on and we we're very personable and it's something that I would like to maintain the the sense of being proud of what we what what we do and where we sit in the greater scheme of things has been magnified a little bit for me and it's certainly not something i take for granted but i can't i can't believe how a series of in some ways random choices in my life have led me to an existence that can weather something like this and also weather it in a way that I get an enormous amount out of it on a personal level in terms of you know, just reconnecting reconnecting with the values that are really important to me, which is is hospitality and just nurturing and loving people just for that minute that we have them in the restaurant. What's your feelings moving forward? There's been further announcements from the Victorian government sort of to – allow more people in venues and opening society more and I guess that means people will start travelling more. Um, how are you feeling about the next six months? Uh, look, I'm, I'm, we're pretty nervous in the sense that the information that comes out from the government is not always clear in terms of how it relates to a lot of restaurants. And any, any restaurateur that works out of a small building 
so either at a, you know like an old you know strip shop like mine or any anything that is old and not purpose built is we are the the four square meter rule is the one that is in a sense least understood by the public but most understood by us so as soon as they say you can have more people in your restaurant and they they as soon as as soon as they get that they ring us up and say well you can have more people and we say well we can't have any more people because we've only got this amount this square meter inch and this is the density that we're allowed to have so it it creates an enormous workload in terms of phone answering and it's 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 really hard for um Ronnie and Katie just to to say no to people all the time. If we are at capacity, we cannot do anything for you for at least three months. Wow! So we're a bit nervous. We're a bit nervous about the telephone. Um, but moving forward, I th- one of the and I, I've spoken to you about this is I found that you know this podcast was an incredible lifeline for me. You know, over this period of time, listening to hospitality people from all over the country and that yeah listening to their stories has a made me very aware of how incredibly lucky I am but b has given me a great deal of things to think about in terms of how to move forward with the business and what to do with it in terms of future proofing us so do we do we stay with a small dining room and put a small retail shop at the front that would make it easier if we do yeah if we come across something like this again and I suspect we may in our lifetimes. Um, so it's it's about looking at our businesses and for my business it's it's you know do we go back to exactly as we were which would be really comfortable, or do I throw the balls in the air and have a smaller restaurant with a retail arm? And then even little things like, you know, do we do we include, you know, on a Saturday and a Sunday that somebody who's coming to lunch could drive the extra 10 minutes out to the farm and have a little farm tour and raise a bit of revenue from doing things like that. So it's given us, or it's given me an enormous amount of time to think about what are the directions that are open to us and what how to sculpt it so that if something if the recovery of this is very slow or the you know the looming recession and discretionary spending cut you know you know softens um what can we do to make us survive this in a way that doesn't stop us from doing it for the long term well annie I bloody love talking to you. We could we could just do a series talking to you. <laughs> um, look, very much looking forward to the day that uh, we can head down to Victoria and um, have a bite to eat at your restaurant. Um, come and see my come and see my funny little world. Yeah, I would love to. Um, I've loved hearing about it, and we'll hear more about it in the future because we're going to check in on you again. But um, thanks again for for sharing. Um, your little story with us and um, it's bloody amazing and inspiring and um, thanks for thanks for being with us again. Thanks to you and Rob because I think that you know what what you have done over these months has been absolutely extraordinary if if it's had the same effect on other hospitality folk and general 
you know, general populace as it's had on me, it has been a real lifeline. So I just, I think it's been an extraordinary piece of, it's not really journalism, is it? That's actually come out of these terrible times and you are one hell of a podcaster. <laughs> um, well, I haven't got upset on the podcast for a week or two, but you just got me there. Thank you. Oh, well, you're pretty, it's been amazing. So thank you. I think thank you for, for giving us all a voice and especially your voice. Well, Annie, um, thanks again and we'll be in touch soon and um, can't wait to talk again. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's hospo community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well. <laughs>